Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Hey everyone, this is Kathy Barrett coming to you live to let you know that today marks the beginning of our four-part series, Help Save Dogmanity. These shows were pre-recorded at an earlier time, and show number one, which will air in a few seconds, will introduce you to a rescue that is run by an extraordinary group of volunteers. They take dogs destined for kill shelters into their homes to foster nurture back to health, and then they find them their forever homes. Our show, too, will air uh, next week, and it focuses on the overpopulation of dogs that is creating a crisis for shelters and rescues that are already pushed to their limits. So we will speak with a foundation whose work and mission is to prevent the need for kill shelters in the future. Our third show is about the importance of getting your dog obedience training. Every dog should be required to have obedience training, in my opinion. Did you know that 30% of the millions of dogs that are brought to shelters each year are taken there by their owners because of an issue that develops between them and their dog? And show four uh, is all about how to help a dog with serious behavioral issues. We will speak to an expert break down the options available to you. And it is so important, and I speak from experience, to be educated about this process and the type of specialist that you may need in order for you to have the best results with your dog. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the series. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about life that profiles ordinary people who choose to be extraordinary. Today our guest is Kelly Ambrose of Mountain Roddy Rescue. Mountain Body Rescue was founded by Chrissy Downey in 2006, and it began out of her home where she fostered a few Rottweiler dogs. The group just kept expanding from there, and just last year, Mountain Body Rescue was successful in finding homes and adoptions for 238 homeless dogs that hailed from several kill shelters. Mountain Rye Rescue is a nonprofit organization, and it consists of volunteers who act as fosters. So the group is located in the Capital District, Central New York, and the Catskill Mountain area, with a branch also in North Carolina. Please go to mountainrodyrescue.net. That's M-O-U-N-T-A-I-N-R-O-T-T-I-E, rescue.net and consider volunteering, fostering, adopting, or share a little bit of your wealth and make a donation today. So welcome to the show, Kelly, and thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this talk. I became familiar with you all at Mountain Roddy Rescue when I fostered and then adopted my dog, Millie. And and so I know firsthand how hard you all work at Mountain Body. You all have full-time jobs and you're volunteers, and then, you know, you you do this. You save lives. So that takes a lot of dedication, and I, I think the work that you do is extraordinary. And I'm very grateful for oh. my Millie. Oh, thank you. And Millie was so lucky to find, have found you. You were a wonderful home for her. It, you know, when I was first looking to adopt a dog, 
I Millie is the opposite of everything I was looking for. I was looking for an older dog. I was looking for um, a short-haired dog. Uh, you know, Millie is the opposite. She's between two and three years old. She's all white. She's, you know, long-haired. And it's just it just goes to show you that you can't really have expectations going into something. You don't know when your heart is going to open to, you know, an animal. And so it's right. very funny that I've looked at hundreds of pictures, you know, of, oh, I want this dog, or, oh, I'd love to have that dog. And yet the right one just finds you. I don't think we pick them. I think they pick us. So I, I just personally like those special needs cases or, you know, the ones that may not love every dog out there, you know, but are great with me. So it's just you got to open your heart to, to what's out there and what needs you to. So let me just ask you, is the founder, Chrissy, still involved with the organization? Yes, she is. She is still the president. And um, not many people would do this, uh, just start a rescue for Rottweilers specifically, you know, out of their home all by herself. And she just saw the need and would take in, you know, two, three Rottweilers at a time. And how I met her was there was a Rottweiler at a local shelter near Albany, New York, and it had no place to go um, other than staying at the shelter, which, you know, it's so much better to get these dogs out into foster homes. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine wrote her, and she said, sure, sure, I'll meet the dog. Sure, I'll take it. So, you know, we drove halfway to, she was at Monticello at the time, and um, she took the dog, and I was so grateful for her that I had to help her in some way. So I said, you know what? can we do to help you? And we got involved and um, me and this other girl's name was Tina. And we, you know, started to process applications for her and we started to do home visits up here. And then she was not a 5-1 scene at the time. And we, you know, all got together and thought, well, wouldn't it, the group be able to do a lot more if, you know, just three, four of us got together and, you know, had a little board of directors and, you know, did the paperwork for the 5-1 C and, you know, little do we know, people out there that you wouldn't think would help, uh, you know, hey, my friend's a lawyer, you know, she can help with the paperwork, oh, you know, I'm an accountant, you know, I'm a dog trainer, and then people get together and they just want to help the dogs. So that's all you need is just the will to help them, the want to help them in, in getting a, a good group of people together. I love that. It's just such a beautiful story because it's just neighbor helping neighbor, stranger helping stranger, you know all for the love of, of helping an animal to be right. at home. And the, fun, the funny thing is when I first got a dog, my husband said, oh, we're never going to get a Rottweiler. And he was completely <laughs> fallen. It's just funny. And we had just gotten married. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I, I can't upset my husband. We just got married. And um, so my brother couldn't keep his dog. And he was moving to Holland, unfortunately. And um we thought we had a home for her. Her name was Tasha, and uh, I was crying hysterically. And my brother says, no, no, we can't give her up. I said, what do you mean? You're going to be in Holland. You know, Joe's not letting me, you know, adopt her. And then he hears me on the phone. He says, okay, okay, I love her, I love her. I'm like, ah, oh. so that's the Rottweilers. And we have, you know, four to five here at any given time, a lot of times um, over the past years. And uh, he completely loves the breed now. But uh, he also, back then, was you know, a little bit wary of it, but he didn't know. He'd never had one. He had never met one. And now that he has, he doesn't want anything but Rottweilers. So it's just That's, a funny little story. That is a very funny story. And also an important t 
topic because people feel about, they have an attitude about certain breeds. And like you say, they've never experienced any time with that particular breed. Rottweilers and also pit bulls. And I have one in foster now, and she's fabulous. She's at my house, um, Abigail, and she's been with us a while. She's a little reactive to other dogs, as as you know how that is, but she's fabulous with people and so loving and you know, I have a lot of my friends' kids that come over, you know, teenagers, they absolutely love her. And they all say, oh, if I only had a house, I, you know, I would adopt her. And um, she's just, you know, she makes me fall in love with pit bulls because she's just so sweet. And uh, she's my first foster pet, I believe, because I I used to, you know, pretty much do the Rottweilers. But she landed at my house, had no place to go, and I completely love her. I can't imagine having five dogs. I'm mean, taking a lot of time and patience, as we were talking about earlier. But five dogs, how do you manage that? Um, right now I have four. It's easy. I mean, once you start, you kind of start slowly, and then um, you just work your way up to it, and it's just mm-hmm. really wanting to do it and determination and just love for the animals. I wasn't, you know, two is kind of the perfect number. They get along, they play, they're great, you know, but when you're in rescue and you want to help dogs, it just happens where, you know, yeah, I can fit one more in because this dog has nowhere to go when you want to get it out of the shelter. I did see on your website all these new dogs that are, you know, needing homes. So talk about that. Like last year, everybody with COVID going on, they were adopting and fostering dogs like crazy. Oh, yeah. It's a little different. Everybody was home. You know, sometimes we get 30 applications on a puppy, and, you know, everybody. some people would be upset, but, you know, there's one puppy and there's 30 applications. Um, Only one person could get the dog, and it was great. It was great for the dogs, and a lot of dogs got adopted last year, but now it's, I feel like people just got their dog last year, so not as many people are looking, so it's a lot harder this year. And the need for the dogs is still the same. We're getting so many pleas from the shelters, and the shelters are full, and old, young, all different breeds, all mm. different sizes. And it's sad to pick and choose, you know, who comes into rescue and who doesn't. And I always wonder yeah. what happens to the ones you don't pick. And, you know, there are some sleepless nights about that, uh, on that, like, and some stress, but... Um, Overall, it's so rewarding when you take these dogs in, you get them into fosters. The fosters, you know, work on the housebreaking and, you know, work on leash manners. I mean, some of these dogs are so shut down. They don't know how to walk on leash. Mm. Um, You know, some of them come in with fleas and ticks. And, I mean, unfortunately, some of them have been, you know, shot because they're running loose and, you know, somebody didn't want them in their yard. And they're great dogs. It's just different parts of the state are very different in how they treat their animals, too. And so, you know, some parts of the country that they neuters is lacking. You know, people just don't do it. And I think, you know, maybe income reasons or I'm not sure exactly why, but um, they just let the dogs run, the dogs breed. There's puppies. There's puppies on the sides of the road, and people will be driving mm-hmm. to work, you know, dogs. And then, you know, we get the messages. and the pictures and we have to say yes we can take this because somebody agreed to foster no I'm sorry I have no place to put this dog because we don't have a facility we're not a shelter and that's a big difference too a lot of people don't understand the differences between a shelter and a rescue you know Mm -hmm. the shelters have a facility and the dogs are you know 
kept in the kennels and there's volunteers and there's amazing people that go and do everything they can and feed and clean and walk. But we're a foster home, we're a rescue, so we bit or operate 100% on people that can bring that dog into their home to foster it and care for it till that dog's adopted. And it's, it really is an amazing group of people that you have that do this because they put so much time into the animals to make them, in, to get them in the best possible condition they can be in to be adopted. And um, so how your organization operates a little bit more. Do you contact certain kill shelters that you have an existing relationship with um, to, or do they yeah, contact you? A- of, uh, kind of works both ways. Um, I will say Facebook has been amazing in the dog rescue world for sharing dogs in need. You know, even anyone can share a dog in need. And, you know, once a shelter posts a photo of a dog and it's shared mm-hmm. a lot of times, sometimes we see that and we'll reach out to the shelter and then we'll get information. You know, we do ask for basic evals, like, a lot of times we'll ask for a video of a dog meeting another dog, a video of the dog with a person. And then I'll, we have a volunteer group on Facebook that we I'll post that first, that dog, and I'll say, hey, can anybody foster this dog? And if somebody's open and wants that particular dog, they'll say, yeah, I'll take it. And that starts the motions. And there's a lot of work before the dog even lands a rescue. Um, That dog has to be vetted. That dog has to get its rabies, which means somebody's driving it to the vet. That dog has to get transported. So we we pull a lot of dogs from Kentucky because we have established relations with them. And once once you pull one dog and they, you know, they kind of follow the dog through too. They like to see the, you know, the adoption photos of the dogs. And then once you have that relationship, they'll keep sending you, I have this one, I have this one, I have this one. And um, we say yes or no based on availability of our foster homes. So it really works both ways, and we reach out mm-hmm. to them or they reach out to us, and it starts a whole whole list of things that need to be done before the dog, you know, can land in our rescue. And let's talk about those things. So the, so the original shelter is doing all that and hard prevention it's, stuff or it depends on the shelter and what resources they have. I mean, these shelter workers are amazing in my eyes. Um, they just do so much and, you know, obviously, you know, underpaid for overworked, taking yeah. care of all the dogs is their number one priority is going in, feeding, letting them out, you know, that's top priority for them. And so if they have time, some of them, yes, will themselves and then others will ask volunteers to do that. Mm-hmm. Or lastly, if they some of them don't even have volunteers, so I we try to find somebody in that area that will help, like another rescue. Can you get to the shelter and, you know, take the dog to the vet to get its rabies, its health certificate, and it, its basic vetting, um, its distemper, its heart room test. And um, then we work on who's going to transport this dog. And we look for transporters, either they're volunteers. There's some that literally drive two hours across various states to get the dog into the rescue or we look for a paid transporter. You have to find that person. You have to coordinate the times, the pickup with the shelter, the drop-off, where it's getting dropped off, how far is that from your rescue, who can drive, you know, on a Friday at 9 o'clock in the morning to go get the dog two hours away. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of coordination. 
that wow. is involved. And that's where the volunteers, you know, come in and help. Transporting is an easy way to help a rescue without taking a dog into your home. You know, you just have to drive an hour or two leg or take a dog to a vet. Um, that's a very easy way to get involved and volunteer if you can't foster. That's really good to know. How much time yourself? Because you have a, a whole other, you know, life, right? You work full time, separate from right. what you're doing with the dogs. So how much time do you end up contributing each oh, week? In a week, oh, it's, I, should, I should count it up one day. I mean, it's easily 20 hours. When, every day when I come home from work, first thing I do is I check the applications that come in, and I mm-hmm. send them to the fosters. And then we'll usually discuss if we think this dog's a good fit, you know, based on what the application has. You know, if somebody has a two-year-old child and that dog's not good with a two-year-old child, you know, we, we don't proceed. But if we think that it's a good match and the people are interested in that particular dog, then we start the adoption process. Um, we'll call them. We'll tell them about the dog. We will do a vet reference because we don't ever want to put these dogs back into the same situation they're in. So we mm-hmm. are pretty thorough in making sure that, we do the best we can to make sure that this dog is going into its forever home. So we'll do the vet reference. If that's, you know, decent, we will do a phone interview. We'll call the two personal references and do a home visit. And I know we've, you know, been criticized by some in the past. Most people understand and and like that process. And um, our supporters like that we do that. We've been criticized a little bit that it's a little bit excessive. But when you see what the dogs come from and how they are abandoned, you just do what you can to make sure that this isn't going to happen to them again. Exactly, and and it makes absolute sense. I think the top reasons that dogs are usually surrendered um, have to do with housing or a caretaker's death or a health issue or they have a behavior problem and somebody drops them off or it becomes a financial situation for some people or some people just have too many animals and they they let one go right I just I I feel like if if I consider my dogs my kids I I mean I personally don't have kids but a lot of people in the rescue feel the same way that do have kids and it just seems to be more socially acceptable to give up your dog abandon your dog and I feel like people aren't doing that to their kids like how does it to be easier to that this is acceptable to do to a dog. I mean, they're living, breathing beings and so loving, and they give you so much back, you know, that, you know, I never ever have an argument with my dog. My dog's always happy to see me if I'm gone all day at work. And, I mean, who, who unconditional love with, with your dog. Is. I just don't understand how people can just, some people abandon them so easily. And mm-hmm. what happens with the puppy mills is, I mean, we're not allowed on site or anything, but there's a vet in Ohio where, you know, the millers will drop their dogs off when they don't want them anymore. And then the vet will reach out to the rescues and get the dogs vetted. And um, a lot of times we don't see pictures or anything of these dogs. Like you just commit sight unseen, but you wow. want to help that dog. And they'll tell you, okay, it's a, a five-year-old, you know, Yorkie or whatever it is, and it can't be used for breeding anymore. So that's when they want to get rid of the dogs. Better laws would help, you know, and I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable in laws. I'm not a lawyer or anything. But if we had better laws to help protect some of these animals and the number of dogs that somebody could breed every year, you know, I think that would help with the overpopulation. 
I agree with you, and what I was shocked about is there, there is no government institution or animal organization responsible for tabulating national statistics for animal protection movement. So whatever yeah. numbers are out there right now are estimates, and they vary, of course, from state to state, and there's a lot of contradictory information being floated about. Um, as we were right. talking about before, figures are down uh, in 2020, but I think it was something like 347,000 dogs and cats were killed in 2020. And although that's a decrease from 19, like we said, COVID has, you know, this is not a normal year. And right. um, most uh, people are attributing it to COVID and the surge of adoptions. But still, when you think about that number, 347,000 dogs and cats killed you know, it's something right. that we really need to change. Also, you were talking about each state is different. So the states that account for more than 50% of dogs and cats that are killed in the United States, Texas is number one, California second, North Carolina third, Florida fourth, Alabama fifth, and Louisiana sixth. Those were the, the top states. Uh, we will pull if we we will pull any dog we have a foster home for. So sometimes there's a dog in Texas that we can find a foster home for. You know we will take that dog in. So we will tr- transport port from Texas too. And there's wonderful wow. people that do that. We California is a little too far away from us. You know it's yeah. but um, pretty much Texas and uh, east we will pull from. The and Georgia, I think really have. came from Georgia. Right. Yeah, yeah, Georgia. Right. We've pulled from Florida, yeah, from Louisiana. We pull a lot from Kentucky. Local, of course, um, we will will help if we have a foster. What I love also about your organization is that you don't demand it, but you request that people get obedience training for the dogs, which I think is so important. If everyone would just get a little obedience training, and I know people, the first place people, most people go is, oh, I can't afford that. But there are people around that are affordable. There are videos online that people can look at. It's just a matter of dedicating time every day, being patient with your dog. But the obedience training is key to everything. And I believe, and I know you believe, that if this were done, like if everyone did this, less dogs would be returned because, as you oh, mentioned, yeah, definitely. there are no perfect dogs, right? Right. And no. they love discipline, and this is a positive thing to do for your dog, like taking it to the vet. It's just as important to me. Right. You and there's no perfect the people either. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so That's I, I, sometimes people have high expectations for their dogs, and, you know, sometimes they look a rescue and want a perfectly trained dog and perfectly housebroken dog and and that's not what we're about i mean we just can't keep the dogs long enough to perfectly train them our goal is to find them homes that will continue to work with them and that we go help the next dog that needs us sitting in the shelter if i want to become a volunteer for your organization or foster or adopt what's the process what do people want um, to know you can um, get in touch with us in many ways. Um, our email is on our website. You can Facebook message us. Their phone number is on our website. 
there's um, multiple ways you can contact us and just say you want to volunteer. You're not sure if you're not sure what you want to do. You know, just you know, could someone please call and you know let me know the volunteer opportunities. But um, I can quickly go through them here. Um, like I talked about before, is transports. Um, you can make phone calls from uh, for us. There's um, the reference checks, like I talked about. You know, that takes volunteers to call, and those are easy to do from your home. You just you know need a phone. You can, um, I think this is important, not necessarily with us, but at any of your local shelters, a lot of them will let you volunteer to come in and walk their dogs. And I, it's such a need, and it's, it helps the dogs so much, and it helps with everything, their, you know, daily life, just getting out for that walk one or two times a day. But it takes, you know, a lot of volunteers to do that. So mm-hmm. that can be done, you know, at most local shelters. We talked about fostering. You just have to be committed, you know, to working with the dog until adoption. But, I mean, that's what makes our rescue group run is our fosters. So that's, a, you know, number one way to volunteer. You can even do simple things like sharing these dogs on Facebook. So easy to hit the share button. And then you never know if your friend or a friend of a friend wants to adopt that particular dog. And then that's how applications come in a lot of times. You can donate. You could start your own fundraiser. You know, I've had little kids do, you know, some lemonade stands, and we didn't even know. And here comes a check from a lemonade stand on, you know, one of the kids. And it's just amazing what think of to, to help. Even bottle drives, people send bottles for us. And even if it's $50 or $25, you know, that goes towards spaying, neutering a dog or rabies or, you know, any of those medical costs or transport costs. Well, I hope um, people listening to this show will really take some action and whatever you can do, but do something because it's, it's yeah. not really important. Talk about the biggest rescue that happened for your organization. I think you said it was in Wallkill, New York. Yes, um, which is in our area. I'm near Albany, New York. It's only a couple hours south, and um, some of our volunteers were even closer to Wallkill there was a woman, she had 76 Rottweilers on her property for years and years. And, you know, some of the neighbors complained, heard barking, but somebody had to go on the property. And I forgot the exact reason, but that's when it all kind of came out. And um, you can Google Wallkill Rotties if you want to see some videos or news articles. There were 76 Rottweilers living outside 24-7 in pens, not spayed and neutered, just using to be bred all the time. And then... And they would sell the puppies, but, of course, nobody was allowed on the property. So they would go meet somebody at, you know, the gas station, and they'd pay a lot of money for these cute little Rottweiler puppies. Meanwhile, all these adults were living in horrendous conditions. And I was um, went there with with our group, and, you know, not all of them even had igloos for the wintertime and mm. the mud and the rats. I mean, I saw myself and the lack of food. It was just a really really sad situation to see. Um, There's some, like, bagels that were thrown over the pens, you know, for, I guess, to try to feed them. And, yeah, and you can see the videos, but um, I couldn't believe, you know, kind of, I would say, right in our backyard that that was going on, and, you know, we didn't even know, or nobody knew for a long time, and then that was exposed, and those dogs no longer are there. This was years and years ago, but it's, you just never know where things like that are, you know, I used to think these are in other states or far away and here they are, you know, right in our backyard. And it was amazing how all the rescues came together to help those dogs, but it was really, really sad to see. And 
that they were in those conditions and that many dogs for one, you know, with a husband and wife, and that was it. No, you're right. There should be laws against that. That is absolutely outrageous that that would happen. And, you know, greed is always the factor behind these things. But it's still, you know, they should be punished for that kind of an action and for putting those dogs through that process. It's just just really horrendous. I mean, there's things like that all over. You just, you know, you don't always know where they are. But, you know, then when those things happen, there's the shelters trying to make room for all these dogs to come in. And uh, it's it's overwhelming. You hear, you see it all the time that, you know, there's a hoarding case and there's 30 dogs or 40 dogs or even more than that going into rescues or shelters that all need homes at one time from one home. I would definitely volunteer some more time with you guys. I need a few weeks to finish a few projects, but I will be giving you some time, maybe with transport or making some phone calls right now. I wish I could take on another dog. I would love to, but my husband will put me up for adoption right now. (laughs) (laughs) I have to work on it a little bit more. You don't want that to happen. (laughs) But, yeah, there's other ways. Exactly. Um, Is there anything you would like to add that we haven't covered? No, just how rewarding it is, you know, to to help these dogs and get involved. It's truly, um, it does a lot for me, you know, to, I I feel like there's a purpose, you know, I'm not just going to work. I'm not just, you know, doing my day-to-day stuff. It really gives me a drive and a, a purpose and a heartwarming feeling when you see the happy stories of, you know, where would that dog been if we didn't help this dog? So I, I think everyone in our group feels that same way. It's just, it's so worth it. It, it. To be of service, you know, in whatever way we choose to do that, service to the world in one way or the other, gives us so much more. We tend to think, I know I do anyway, oh, I'll just do this and then I'll be helping somebody else. But I always find that I'm getting so much more out of it than I'm giving. Right, a, a feeling that you you can't get from doing anything else. It's being of service is one of the greatest things we can do for ourselves, and in the process, right. you're saving a life. So how bad can that be? Right. Jenny, it has been a pleasure to have you on the program. A pleasure to know you. I thank you from my heart sincerely for my precious Millie, and uh, because she she is bringing so much to my life. And I want to thank you again and all the volunteers at Mount Roddy. Uh, Val Ellsworth was the person I was most in contact with. She's fabulous. She puts her heart and soul in everything, and she was so helpful to me during the process, as you were as well. Val does a wonderful job. And, you know, you're doing very valuable and necessary work, and I'm in complete gratitude to you all for what you do. This is Kathy Barrett signing off from Behind the Curtain. Thank you guys for tuning in today. You can go to GoBehindTheCurtain.com to find out more information about Mountain Roddy Rescue, myself, and listen to the show. You can go to BlogTalkRadio.com slash BehindTheCurtain to listen to today's show and to other archived shows. Sending out a virtual hug to one and all. Let's be kind to one another. Let's help save the